I would ask that you please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. Today we're going to begin at verse 10. For the past several months, we have been following the second missionary journey of Paul. At this point, he has been joined by Silas and by Timothy, who are young men dedicated to serving the Lord and carrying the gospel throughout the empire. However, I also want to point out another important character who has been traveling along with us that perhaps you have not noticed. In fact, it's very easy to miss him because he's relatively invisible to the reader without careful inspection, and that would be the author of this book, Luke himself. Although Dr. Luke never writes his own name in the narrative, we know that he did join the team and that he did take part in the mission by paying attention to one simple but persistent clue. Pay attention whenever the author uses the word we or the word us to see when Luke is included. Here's a few examples. First, we see that Luke had already joined Paul when he received the first Macedonian call back in Acts chapter 16, verse 10. It says, And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Luke also then traveled along with them as they took the gospel into Europe and as they shared the good news with that first convert that we know of in the entire continent, and that's found in Luke 16, 13. It says, on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate, to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and there we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Luke was clearly with him. Luke was also with Paul and the gang when they were confronted by that girl with the evil spirit. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. And as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had the spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. However, we have seen that the team has already begun to splinter by the time we get to our text today. It's already begun to separate a little bit as some of them do not make their way along with Paul on the next leg of the journey. You'll notice that the last verse of chapter 16 and the first verse of chapter 17 indicate that Luke remained in Philippi. It says, So they went out of the prison and they visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. And when they came, uh, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jew. Notice it doesn't ever say we or us in this passage. It just says they. And moving forward, Luke is not going to write of himself being with Paul for a while until we get all the way forward to Corinth. Luke remained in Philippi with a handful of people who had come to faith in Jesus Christ in that city. Theologians who are a little bit more on the hopeless romantic side, have a tendency to speculate that perhaps there was a romantic spark there between Luke and Lydia and that they were eventually married. Now, there is no biblical evidence for that, but wouldn't that be wonderful if that was the case? For now, I want you to notice that the team is going to begin to shrink a little bit at a time. Luke dropped off to continue discipling believers in Philippi. Today, in our text, we're going to see Timothy and Silas, how they find a temporary waypoint in Berea, and they send Paul along by himself for the next couple of stops. Now, that's not going to play a great deal into our sermon today, but you need to know that for what's coming up in the next couple of sermons, so I wanted to make sure you had an awareness of that. The gospel had been well-received by some in Thessalonica, but the Jewish community there was so antagonistic toward Paul and his message that they stirred up the city to a riot, and they wanted to kill Paul and Silas, but they couldn't find them. 
That is where we pick up our story today. Please follow along in Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 10. The word reads, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing, as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Let's pray. Our God and Father in heaven, as we come to this passage that seems nestled between such significant events in the beginning of chapter 17 and the end of 17, I pray, Lord, that we would not overlook a text such as this one. Lord, I ask that we would recognize the extreme value that is to be found in what Paul experienced in Berea. And Lord, I pray that today that you would draw our attention to Jesus Christ, your Son, and that we would learn how to hear a sermon well, just like the Bereans did. We pray that in the precious name of Jesus Christ, so that we might see Him and love Him more clearly. Amen. Some people have described insanity as repeating the same action over and over and expecting different results. Now, you might be asking yourself when you read a passage like this one, what in the world does Paul think he's doing? Why would he continue to start every city's evangelistic outreach by going to the synagogue. Pretty much everywhere he has gone, it is the Jewish community that antagonizes him. At this point, everywhere he has gone in Europe especially, he was greeted well and accepted by the Gentile community who has responded to the gospel in faith. And it has been the Jewish community who has responded with violent riots. Lydia was a Gentile. The Philippian jailer was a Gentile. The majority of those who trusted in Christ in Thessalonica were Gentiles. So what does Paul think he's doing? Why does he keep going to the synagogue every stop he makes? Well, the reason is very simple, and that is this. There were faithful Jews who had trusted in the Lord faithfully and followed Him faithfully according to the Old Covenant. The Old Testament Scriptures would refer to these people as the remnant. They were the truly saved people inside of the larger Jewish community. However, those faithful Jews were still living in eager anticipation of what had already come. They were looking for the Messiah. They were waiting for that first Christmas day. They had no idea that the Messiah had been born in Bethlehem. So it was good news for them to hear, Christmas happened. You missed it. Jesus is here. The king has been born. How could you tell if people were faithful Jews or apostate Jews? Very simple. It all comes down to how they respond to the gospel. Jesus explained it this way to the Pharisees, those people who were Jewish, who did not receive him. Jesus said to them in John 10, 25-27, I told you, speaking of who he is, I told you who I am, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe in me because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. How do you know if these Jews were 
true, faithful Jews. Because when the voice of the Savior arrived, when they finally heard God speaking, they would believe. When they heard the good news of the, of the gospel about Jesus Christ coming to die for sinners and to save them from their sin and to rise again, they would see, yes, this is what the Scripture has taught. This is what we have been reading about for so many years. This is what we have anticipated. Finally, He has come, and they would follow Him. They're a great shepherd. So Paul would always go to the Jewish community, his people, in hopes that they would have a remnant of faithful believers who would hear and receive the gospel in faith. Paul explains it this way in Romans chapter 16, verse 1, the gospel came to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. In our passage today, Paul arrived in the city of Berea, which is in central Greece, and yet his reception at this synagogue was notably different than anywhere else. Luke even makes a comparison between them and the Jewish people in Thessalonica by noting that they are, quote, more noble than the Jews in Thessalonica. Now, our main focus today for the rest of the morning is to see what exactly caused them to be considered more noble than the rest. The rest of this sermon is designed to be eminently practical. We are simply going to draw seven applications from what we observe from the lives of these noble Bereans. And the first four applications are all about how you are to listen to preaching and to teaching of the Word. The last three applications are about how you respond to the preaching and the teaching of the Word. Here are seven applications about being Berean. Application number one, listen corporately. You may notice that when Paul goes to a city, he knows exactly where to find the noble Jews. He knows where they're going to be. He anticipated that they're going to be faithfully gathering on the Sabbath day at the synagogue. They were practiced at regularly setting aside a day that would be for the purpose of worship and for the purpose of thoughtful reflection on the Word of God. Now, it's clear not everybody who was regular and consistent at gathering together for a church service each week was actually a believer in God. How do we know that? Because a lot of times when Paul went to those places where people were religiously actively attending, they still did not receive him. So just because you attend a church does not make you a Berean and it does not make you a Christian. But there were people in this city who were actively engaged in regular gathering. If you're a guest with us today, but you are a faithful member or a regular attender of another local church, please know that I am not targeting you today with this first point. I am primarily speaking to those who are members of this church. And if you are not a member or attender of any local church, yet you call yourself a Christian, I want you to know that is completely foreign to anything that we find anywhere in the Bible. There is no example of someone who is a Christian who is not covenanted together with a community of God's people and regularly gathering with them. And if you are not a Christian, welcome. We want you to know this Jesus, and we want you to be saved, and we want you to come into this family of God. So welcome. I'm glad that you're here. For those who are regular attenders, members here at this church, brothers and sisters, if you are not consistent in regular church attendance, then you are disobeying the Lord, but you are also harming yourself. You're removing yourself from receiving the teaching of the Word as it is intended. 
You can definitely watch sermons online. Many people do that. You can listen to podcasts and supplement your spiritual growth. Many people do that. But those things are no substitute for the listening and preaching of the Word as it is designed by God to be received with and alongside the people of God. We are called to faithfully gather together. Do not forsake the gathering of the believers. The Bereans were set to receive the Word of God. They were prepared for that because they would faithfully attend. Because I love you, I want you to know that God commands His people to gather together each week unless providentially hindered, which means unless you get a flat tire on the way to church or you have COVID-19 or your children all have the flu or you are having a baby, then you are obviously excused. But we are called to listen corporately. Second application we can gather from these Bereans is that we are to listen eagerly. Before being a lead pastor, I was a youth minister for seven years. And one of the things that I began to recognize more and more each year was that there was a seasonal disease that began to spread in a certain segment of the population of the youth group each year. Every spring this took place. Every senior class would always begin around March to display the symptoms of something called senioritis. You've probably heard of this disease before. If you're not a doctor, let me share with you what this disease is. Senioritis is the common term that is used to describe the lackluster approach to the high school students, high school seniors, that they have towards their studies towards the end of their senior year. They can see the finish line. They know graduation is just over the horizon, and they're ready to get there. And their motivation has declined to such an extent that they're often going to fail to to complete assignments, and they will zone out during instruction. They might not even show up to school some days. Why? Why does this happen? The answer is very obvious. It's because they feel like they've done everything necessary to graduate, so why try pushing any harder? Luke tells us that the Bereans, quote, received the word with all eagerness. Sadly, there are many Christians who begin their walk with the Lord with a great deal of zeal in terms of learning and growth, only to develop a Christianized version of senioritis in their life. They think that they've done enough, they've learned enough, they've studied enough, they've listened enough, and there's no hunger left for the things of the Lord. People who function like that are not ready to receive the Word. Ask yourself, when it comes time for the Word to be preached, when it comes time for the exhortation of Scripture, when it comes time for the Scripture reading on Sunday mornings, are you ready to receive the Word eagerly? Are you hungry for what the Lord has to teach you from the Word? The third thing we are taught here from the Bereans is to listen actively and attentively. The great commandment teaches us that we are to love the Lord with every part of our being, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. That includes, obviously, the brain. In order to engage the mind, it is necessary to listen. If you cannot listen actively, attentively to the Word, your growth is going to be dramatically stunted. We live in a microwave society with a shorter and shorter attention span, with shorter and shorter sound bites to distract our mind in every direction. And it is completely countercultural to be a contemplative person. Sadly, this is not only true on social media and on TV and in personal relationships. This lack of attention, this lack of attentiveness has bled into the church. 
One of the reasons that seeker-sensitive churches tend to grow to large sizes is due to the fact that they do not believe it's necessary to engage the mind of the congregation at all. They attempt to engage the emotions and the affections apart from the rigorous work of renewing the mind. This is not speculation on my part. This is open and clear in the writings of such folks. And I have had personal conversations with multiple seeker-sensitive pastors who have told me this very thing. It is not my job to explain or teach things. It is my job to preach things. And then people will hear and their hearts will burn and then they will believe everything they need to believe. Yet, that is not what we see happening in the Scripture. They're not ready yet in these churches. These people who go in, they are desirous to be spoon-fed empty calories from a pulpit each week because they're okay with the idea of never having to put on their thinking caps and to actually follow an argument of Scripture. Now, I challenge you to search the Scriptures and find any place, any single example of the intellect being bypassed on way to experience spiritual growth. Every single time it reveals to us how we are to transform into the image of Christ, it always begins every single time with affecting the mind. Every single act of transformation begins by attentively receiving the command of God in your mind before it goes to your heart. And that even includes salvation. You cannot come to Christ before you actually have the good news of the gospel go into your ears into your brain before it can then go down into your heart. The Bereans understood the argument that Paul was making from the Scriptures. They listened well enough that after he left, they were able to continue on researching his claims from the entirety of the Old Testament every single day. Think about that. Consider what that must have looked like. You see, we have this really easy thing that we can do where we can look up any verse we want to at a moment's notice on a computer in our pocket. These guys, if they wanted to search the Scriptures, they had to go to the closet. They had to say, hey, can you please pull out that second scroll from Genesis and that fourth scroll from Isaiah so that we can hear what he's saying here about Abraham and so we can compare it to what he said there about the suffering servant in Isaiah 53? Can you go pull out that passage that he said to look at from that scroll from the 12 prophets and look at that passage from Micah where it speaks about the 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 Lord coming to Bethlehem. Go, go get that scroll. And they had to know it well enough already at that point where they could actually go through and locate and search and search and search and search and say, yes, what he said is true. You know what that means? It means they had to understand his argument so well that they could investigate by memory what he had said to them. We are called to listen attentively. We are also, fourthly, called to listen critically. There's an old saying that says, if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. The Jews in Berea were not like that. They were not gullible. They were not swayed by every single wave of doctrine and every new church fad that came to their door. Luke tells us that they were examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Whenever anyone is preaching in any pulpit, you have a responsibility to listen to them in such a way that you can ensure that what they are saying up here is also something that God is saying in here. If those things don't match, there is a problem. While the sermon is being preached, you should have your Bible open on your lap and ask yourself the question, does it really say that? 
Is that really what's taking place here? Please do not be deceived by the strange modern notion that faith and reason are at odds with one another. This disturbing trend of thinking that faith means blindly believing whatever someone tells you has been the cause of many people shipwrecking their faith. There are entire books of the New Testament dedicated to helping us recognize false teachers and false teaching. Sadly, most Christians could not tell you anything about what those books say. We have been given these tools to train our minds for critical thinking and examination of the Word of God to determine if teaching is truly in alignment with God's Word. So what are we called to do when we gather together and we hear the teaching and we hear preaching? We are called to listen critically to those things. Listen to those claims and examine them under the light of the Word of God. Listen critically. Now, the last three applications are about how we respond Application number five relates very closely to number four. We are to respond humbly. Failing to listen critically is a form of pride, certainly so. However, it is possible to drive off the ditch of pride in the other direction of the road, too. There is an entire cottage industry that has popped up over recent years of discernment blogger types that have become the archetype for cantankerous church members. And what do I mean by that? These people will claim that they are listening critically to a sermon, but what their goal is is not to find truth. Their purpose is to either be prominently displaying their own intelligence or their theological acumen or to put down the preacher or to simply stir up division. All of those are very negative things. The Bereans were not seeking to be divisive. The Bereans were not seeking to be sinfully critical. The Bereans were searching the Word for the right reasons. They were seeking knowledge, not that puffs up, but that builds up. They were seeking to know God as He truly is. They were searching the Word so that they could love God accurately, and they were rightly skeptical of Paul's claims initially, but they were not aggressive. They were not contentious. Instead, Luke says that their behavior was honorable. Perhaps you have met someone who has a tendency towards every time a preacher says something, being antagonistically critical. Be careful of such a heart. Being critical as a listener does not mean that you need to be an arrogant listener. If your goal is to prove that you are more intelligent than the preacher, well, in my case, I concede. You win. You probably are smarter than me. And you may be even smarter than the other guys who fill this pulpit. But check your pride. Ensure that your critical listening skills are employed and know that you can understand the truth of God's Word, not to highlight yourself. Because here's the thing, it doesn't matter if you're smarter than the preacher. You're not smarter than God. The question is, is the preacher aligning himself with God and what he says in his Word? So when you hear the Word, you're not responding ultimately to the person speaking the words. Respond to God Himself. Respond humbly. Sixthly, respond studiously. Listen again to what Luke tells us about these Bereans. He says that they were, quote, examining the Scriptures daily. Do you have a daily relationship with your Bible? Do you engage your mind only on Sundays with the Word? What if you were beginning to lose weight at a rapid pace? We're coming to that season. You know what season I'm talking about? The season of January 1st when everyone decides it's time. Let's say that you come in on January 8th, and I notice there's a substantial difference in your weight, and I ask you the question, 
are you on a new diet or like, is there a health thing that I should know about going on here? And your response to me was, <clears throat> actually, I've just decided I'm only going to eat on Sundays from now on. <laughs> obviously, you would not do that because obviously that is insane. So you would not eat only on Sundays. You need regular sustenance. You need to have an ongoing diet where you are bringing in calories for your physical body. You need to have your mind renewed daily in the Word. You need to encounter Jesus in the Scriptures every day of the week. One of the reasons that many Christians are weak and gullible is that they lack the regular intake of the Word. They can quote all of their favorite movie lines, they can quote all of their favorite lyrics to their favorite songs, but they can't find the book of Jude or Daniel in their Bible. Read it. Read it again. Read it slower. Read it daily. One way that I want to encourage you to daily Bible reading is through the upcoming year. We're going to have once again a 2023 Bible reading plan for this church, and I've already completed it. I'll be emailing it out this week as well as posting it on our website. I encourage you to walk through that together with the church. Let me explain just a little bit of what that will look like this year and how that will be different from this current year. If you are going through the Bible reading plan this year, congratulations. You are just about to finish the entire New Testament as we close out Revelation this coming week. That's a big feat, reading the New Testament, as well as a good number of books from the Old Testament as well. That is a big thing. And if you have done that daily, the Lord has certainly used that to grow you and to help you learn about who He is and how to love Him well. This coming year, we are going to pay a little bit more attention to the Old Testament, and here's how. Every single week, we're going to begin on Monday and then Tuesday and Wednesday in the Old Testament. We're going to start in Genesis, and we're going to make our way through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. When we go through these books, what we are going to be doing is we are going to be focusing on the main storyline of the Old Testament. So we will do every single chapter in Genesis. We're going to do much of Exodus. We're going to do a portion of Leviticus, a portion of Numbers, and a portion of Deuteronomy, etc., we're going to make sure that we get the main focus, the main chapters of the Old Testament into our, into our minds from these books of history this year. And in doing so, there are going to be notes that accompany them each week. There are going to be notes for all of those Old Testament passages, as well as we are also going to go through several New Testament books as well on Thursdays and Fridays. On Saturdays and over the weekend, we are providing for you suggested readings from the Psalms. And if you continue doing those readings, then you will have read through the entire book of Psalms in the year 2023. And as you go through those, there will not be any notes, but we have some suggestions as ways to supplement those readings as well. So there will be notes five days a week. There will be readings for seven days of the week. I encourage you to get the Word of God in your heart, in your mind, every single day. Be like the noble Bereans. Study the Word daily. We come now to our final application, seven, respond submissively. The five most important words in the text that we have read today are the five words that begin in verse 12. It says, many of them therefore believed. Notice that their faith was grounded in something. That word therefore is very important. It joins back with their study of the Scripture to reveal that their belief was not haphazard. It was not careless. It was not gullible. It was not just, oh, I decided today I'm just going to shift over and believe whatever these guys are telling me. They were convinced from the Scriptures about what to believe and therefore how to live. 
it is theoretically possible that you could get all of the first six application points correct and actually fail to get the point of this text. The point that Paul's message was making here was simple. Believe in Jesus Christ for salvation and for transformation. That message transformed the people of Berea. The point of every single sermon that is preached in this pulpit, as long as the Lord allows me to remain here, is very simple. Believe in Jesus Christ for salvation and for transformation. If you walk away from a sermon intellectually stimulated but unchanged, what is the value in that? If you are present and you are engaged and you are critical and you are humble and you are studious, but you have a response that lacks faith, then you are just like the Pharisees. A right response, like the Bereans, to the Word of God, to the message of the cross, is to respond in faith that leads to action. What do I mean faith that leads to action? How do we see that here with them? Why would I say that they have action taking place in their hearts and their lives? Here's why. The Bereans knew that it was dangerous to follow Christ. They knew that if what Paul said was true, and they agreed with him, and they professed faith in this Messiah Jesus, then they were putting their own lives on the line. They had heard what had happened to Paul in Thessalonica. Soon after believing, they were so concerned about Paul's safety that they put him on a ship and sent him off to Athens in order to protect his life. Even so, these faithful Bereans were willing to follow Christ. This is not a half-hearted response. This was the epitome of picking up your cross and following after the Savior. Faith leads to action. When you hear the Word of God proclaimed, the purpose is to move your mind and your heart to worship Him in spirit and in truth. It's to convince you that sin is never worth it and obedience always is. It's to call your heart to see Christ as real treasure, worth dying for kind of treasure, just like the Bereans did. So when you hear the Word preached, you're to respond submissively to God's Word. I'm, now, let me be clear. I'm not trying to be self-serving here. I'm not saying you are to submit to me. Although in, in some aspects, as your elder, there is an aspect of submission there. What I am speaking about is not a, a submission to the whims of a person, whoever it might be that proclaims the Word. If there is any time that I step away from the Scriptures and you critically examine and you see that I have, for one reason or another, shifted away from the gospel message of Jesus Christ and fallen into false teaching, it is therefore your responsibility to remove me as your pastor. That's your church job. I pray that that never happens and I never lose my mind or that nothing ever happens in that way. But I will say simply this. Do not submit to anything that comes, originates from man. But if it originates from God Himself, you are called to submit to it. Hear it. Believe it. Be changed by it. That is how we can be like the noble Bereans. That is how we can follow Christ well. Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, I pray that every single person who is here today in this room would have faith in Jesus Christ and would follow after Him like the Bereans. I pray, Lord, that every single person who came to this church today that is not often here or maybe they are here even for the first time, God, I pray that You would bring deep conviction and transformation to their life. Reveal Christ to them. Let them see truth. And Lord, I pray for anyone who is here that is not a regular attender. They are in and out, that they have no regular home where they worship consistently and faithfully. I pray that they would become faithful, 
that they would be daily active in the Word and weekly active in Sunday service and often active with the people of God. Lord, I pray also for everyone who is here that is consistent and who is faithful and who does study the Word faithfully and who is critical in their hearing and who is humble in their response and who do submit to the Word of God. I pray, Lord, that they would grow more and more in their walk with Christ and their love for Him. May we be a church that is so in love with Jesus that there is nothing else that we would be satisfied by. We pray this all in the precious name of our Savior who came and who became one of us so that He might bring us to Him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.